Well, we had a wonderful 7 a.m. sunrise worship service. It didn't rain on us, and it uh, wasn't too hot. It was a little sticky this morning, but, uh, but it was a great service. The past few Sundays, though, here in worship, if you've been with us, we've focused on Luke's account of the gospel as Jesus has been journeying to Jerusalem. And so here we are on this Easter Sunday, this Resurrection Sunday, and we are here to celebrate. That is why we have the Lord's Day on Sunday, because that's the day that Jesus rose. And as we begin, I wanted to just briefly kind of just take a snapshot of the week prior to Jesus' resurrection, the week prior to that Resurrection Sunday morning. So if you back that up a week, the Sunday before that, well, that's a Sunday that we celebrate as Palm Sunday. So that's when Jesus entered Jerusalem after his journey from the northern shores of the Sea of Galilee, following the Jordan River down to Jericho and then up to Jerusalem. And on this Palm Sunday, Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem, not on a, not on a horse, a stallion, but on a donkey in fulfillment of a prophecy. And he does this to the cheers and the adoration of his followers. So what happens on Monday and Tuesday? That doesn't really get a lot of press. Well, Jesus is teaching. He's interacting with people in and around Jerusalem. He's uh, impressing some, making, you know, some favorable impressions with some. But others, he's kind of, there's some friction growing with especially the religious leaders in Jerusalem. So on Wednesday of that week, the leaders, the religious leaders of the Sanhedrin, they devise a plot to kill Jesus. And so this is when Judas strikes a deal and offers to betray Jesus at a time when, you know, there weren't all the crowds around. Some time when Jesus is more alone where they could capture him without making a big scene. And Thursday, Thursday was the day where most of the day was spent making preparations for the Passover meal. That meal that Jesus had with his disciples that we call the Last Supper. And so we, we celebrated this here in our sanctuary Thursday evening with our Monday Thursday service. And it's a time when Jesus not only broke bread with his disciples and ate with his disciples, but he gave them instruction, teaching knowing that this is probably the last time he can really instruct them. He reminds them to serve one another as he served. He, he washed their feet as an example. He reminded them to love one another as he loves. And so after that dinner with his disciples, he left that upper room in Jerusalem, went out from the city of Jerusalem toward the Mount of Olives again, but to the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's here early, early in the morning of Friday. We might even call it late in the night, but it's, you know, like the 3 a.m. time frame of Friday morning. Jesus is praying to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not long after that, Judas arrives with, with the, the soldiers and the posse that's there to arrest him, and they take Jesus they take him before the religious leaders in the Sanhedrin, and he's condemned by them, but they send him over to Pontius Pilate. And that trial probably takes place around 6 a.m. at that point. And it's about 9 a.m. that Jesus is sentenced to be crucified. 
by about 3 p.m. that Friday, Jesus died on a cross. He was taken down and put in a tomb. So that was Friday. Saturday, what happened Saturday? Doesn't get a lot of press either. Well, Saturday was the Sabbath. You have to remember that in, in this time, especially in Jerusalem, they observed the Sabbath. And so that's why the, the women didn't go and prepare Jesus' body on Saturday. That's why they waited until Sunday, the third day. Friday being the first day, Saturday the second, Sunday being the third day. And this is where we pick up in our text today. So I'm going to pick up in Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners to be crucified and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words. In returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told the who told this to the apostles. Now you think the apostles would be really excited. They're like, yes, Jesus has resurrected from the dead. He is risen. That's, that's not the response they get. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. Then he went home, amazed, at what had happened. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, friends, let's be honest. Little little congregational participation, okay? Who likes being right? Show of hands. Let's see them. If you didn't put your hands up, you're lying. Everyone likes to be right. Am I right? When someone questions us and we know we're right, it kind of stirs something in us. Like it, there's like a little switch that sometimes flips within us. Like if we know, like beyond a shadow of a doubt, like I know that answer. But somebody's maybe debating us on it, maybe just doesn't believe us, just says, no, you're wrong. You know, it's like battle at that point. And there's only one way, well, there might be more than one way, but there's one way to settle the dispute and that is to let them see with their own eyes. You know, so that's where having computers in our pockets, you know, our cell phones, just like, oh, here's the answer right here. I'll show you right now. I'll show you that I'm right. Well, a lot of times, you know, and let's admit it, we, uh, we get in these little, these little pride battles, maybe a little too easily. And uh, case in point, I have a little illustration, and, and I got Jessica's permission to share this, so I'm not going to get in trouble, I hope. But this past spring, we, uh, we wanted to add a new flower bed in our backyard, kind of along the, the back of our house. 
And so we, we dug up, you know, the grass that was there. We put fresh dirt down so, you know, the pretty flowers can grow in it. We put the weed block down. We put the mulch down. We did it all the right way. And then I stood back kind of admiring it. And then I had a thought, this little light bulb moment. And I go, oh, man, I'm dumb. I had forgotten to cut holes out of the weed block for the sprinkler heads to come up. So now they're buried under not only the mulch, but the weed block, and they're not going to come up. And so Jessica sees me looking all puzzled, and I told her what had happened. She goes, well, there's no sprinkler heads there. I go, oh, no, there's sprinkler heads there. She goes, are you sure? Because I was digging in there. I didn't see any. I was like, I'm positive they're there. It's like, and we kept kind of going back and forth, you know, just this, just in the backyard, just the two of us. And I was like, I'll bet you 20 bucks there's three sprinkler heads right there. I was like, there's one way to find out. Went to the, you know, we got a little app to turn our sprinklers on. And uh, sure enough, there's three sprinklers there. So I was right, and I'm like, huh, told you so. <laughs> I, I'm not super proud of how I gloated, but <laughs> I was still right. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Um, uh, you know, I wonder, though, if the women who went to Jesus' tomb early that Sunday morning, you know, they, they went to the tomb, they were all prepared to prepare Jesus' body, and they get there, the tomb's open. There's, there's no one in the tomb, it's empty. And then they had this whole encounter, right, at the tomb, and they ran back and they tell all the other disciples what they had just experienced And I wonder what it felt like for them when they realized that they don't believe us. Why don't they believe us? Now, granted, you know, the women weren't reporting about sprinkler heads or something, you know, trivial like we do. They were saying that a person had resurrected from the dead. That's, you know, a little bigger. Kind of unbelievable. But we know that Peter, who was with Jesus really kind of from the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. Peter is the one who walked on water with Jesus, one of his closest disciples. And if he was to believe it, he had to see it with his own eyes. So he ran to the tomb, and he saw it just how the women described. I kind of wonder if when he got back, the women said, Ha, told you so, he is risen. But I'm sure they have a little bit more maturity than I do about that. Um... But, you know, as humans, we want to be right, but we also want to know the truth in all situations. We, we want to know the truth. I think that's a basic desire that we all have. You know, no one wants to be misled. No one wants to be lied to or deceived. We want to know the truth, especially with things that we care about, things that are meaningful to us. We want to know exactly what it is, what happened, where it happened, why it happened. We want to know all the details. When investigations are performed, investigators start hunting for evidence in order to seek out the truth of what happened. They're trying to put pieces together. And one of the things they do, one of the primary things that they do when trying to figure out a case is they question people. They look for people who have relevant information about that situation. And especially they're looking for eyewitness testimony. And so they may ask Where were you on the night in question? When were you there? Why were you there? Who were you with? 
How are you related to this person or situation? What do you know about it? What did you hear? What did you see? And obviously, you know, investigators, they want to get as close to the, the situation that they're trying to figure out as possible. They want that eyewitness, firsthand account. And what's interesting to me about particularly Luke's account of the gospel is that's kind of what he's presenting. If we look back at the very first verses of his gospel account, Luke chapter 1, verse 1, going through verse 4, Luke says this, Since many have undertaken to set down an orderly account of the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed on to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, I too decided, this is Luke speaking of himself, after investigating everything carefully and from the very first to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the truth. So that you may know the truth concerning the things about which you have been instructed. At the very beginning of his whole gospel account that talks about Jesus's birth, his life, his death, his resurrection. At the very beginning, he states his purpose, what he's doing. He's gathering sources. He's interviewing people. He's getting their eyewitness testimonies, and he's putting together this careful investigation and writing it out clearly so that, you always got to pay attention to the, to the so that, so that you may know the truth. It's also important to know that Luke wrote a uh, a two-part series. So, you know, if, th- if this was a, a Netflix show, there'd be, you know, two episodes here. So the first part is his gospel account. But the second part is the book that we know as Acts. And we know this because Acts chapter 1, verse 1, begins similarly. In my first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day that he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself alive to them, catch this, by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Luke says here that after Jesus suffered and died, that Jesus presented himself alive, living, risen, resurrected to them by many convincing proofs, not just one thing, not just an empty grave, but over the course of 40 days as well. We know the resurrection's important. It's a central belief, it's a central tenet of the Christian faith. And we can see from Luke's investigation that Luke himself we have to keep in mind, Luke wasn't one of the original disciples of Jesus. He wasn't, you know, like Peter, walking and being with Jesus. He also probably wasn't in one of the crowd, one of the extras that was following Jesus around. Luke came a little later. We actually know of Luke through not only, you know, his gospel and Acts, but through Paul's letter. Paul mentions Luke three times in different letters. In 2 Timothy, in Philemon... And it's in Colossians where Paul refers to Luke as our dear friend Luke the doctor. Luke himself, even though he wasn't a first-hand eyewitness person, 
he's getting testimony. He's doing this careful investigation, and it leads him to the conclusion that, hey, this Jesus guy, he was born, he lived, he died, and he was risen. And I believe that. I've heard all the stories. I've gathered all the accounts. And as he's following, as Luke is following with Paul on on Paul's missionary journeys, we see more of what what comes out of this, this idea that eyewitnesses are so important to these early Christians. Because Paul himself, remember Paul didn't grow up a Christian. Paul wasn't one of the original disciples. Paul was actually someone who was an opponent of the Christians. He was a critic. He was, he was someone who sought to destroy the Christians. He was overseeing the death of Stephen. He sought to destroy the whole Christian movement, but yet Paul had an encounter with Christ. He saw the risen Lord, and it changed him. And for him to change his mind and go from one of the, the biggest threats to Christianity to becoming one of the biggest influences for the spread of the gospel throughout the Mediterranean world and beyond, that would have required something big. He was convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt to leave all he had behind and say, no, I'm following Jesus. And he devoted his life and even gave his life to the cause. You don't do that if you're on the fence. You don't do that if you're thinking, Maybe that's not real, that whole thing. Paul was convinced. And I want to read just just a a few verses out of what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul wrote, For I handed on to you as of first importance what I in turn had received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He, and that he appeared to Caiaphas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Here we have Paul giving this kind of brief statement of the gospel message that he says he received. He was taught this, that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day. But then right after that, if you noticed, Paul went into describing these eyewitness accounts of Jesus' resurrection. He starts with Peter, then the twelve disciples, And not only that, then 500 people, many of whom who are still living. It's almost like he's saying, go ask them. They're still living. James and all the apostles. And finally, the resurrected Jesus appears to Paul himself. You know, when the women came back to report to the disciples about the empty tomb, even the disciples didn't believe them right away. Many today in our world, and it's not surprising, I mean, it's a pretty crazy thing to think about, but many people today are skeptical of the resurrection of Jesus. But just like the women who proclaim the good news that Christ is risen, we are called to proclaim that, yes, Christ is risen. 
our lives ought to point to the truth that salvation comes from the Lord. Jesus' resurrection confirmed that Jesus was more than a teacher, more than a prophet, more than, you know, just a good guy, nice guy. The resurrection confirmed that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, our great Redeemer, the one who atones for our sin and assures us of eternal life through his resurrection. So God calls us to trust and believe the good news that Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Friends, God loves you. Christ is risen. Alleluia. Amen. Will you join me in a time for prayer?